Welcome to the Modernizer Die Podcast, CFML News Edition, where we keep you up to date with everything going on in the Cold Fusion community. We'll share the latest news on events, releases to engines, frameworks, libraries, and tools, as well as spotlighting quality content from the community. Welcome to Modernizer Die CFML News Edition. It's October 12th, 122, 122 episodes. Can't believe it. But here we are again. There's a lot of ones and twos in that. I know. The episode, the date. This, this means something. This is important. Yep, it must be. We're important, everybody, just so you know. <laughs> I didn't say we're important. I oh. just said the ones and the twos are important. It's like the Star Trek episode where they get stuck in the time loop and spock or whoever sends back like the number three so it shows up everywhere and they go with the third option am i the oh. only person that remembers that okay uh, never it, mind that sounds a little familiar i haven't seen a lot of star trek lately so my well, this yeah. is this is an old episode so yeah like, I, I mean i just haven't rewatched them all you know I, I used to watch them all as a kid and wait for my kids to get to the point where i can maybe watch them with them again so we're doing harry potter since you started that phase so we're almost done with all those movies and stuff but Anyway, apparently we're here to talk about CFML news, so uh, let's start that. So they, so they tell us. <laughs> yep. So I'm Gavin Pickin, and you are Brad Wood. And first, we want to thank our sponsors, Auto Solutions. So without them, we wouldn't have things like Coldbox, Commandbox, Forgebox, Testbox, and almost every other box out there. So um, obviously, they're doing a lot of things for the community. So the community, that's you, can also do a few things to say thanks back to Order Solution. The the most important one for us right now is go like and subscribe our videos on YouTube. And uh, that way you'll get notifications when we go live for those people that are in the chat right now heckling us or watching live. Uh, you know, you get a few extra things if you're watching and uh, chatting. But also, you can sign up for a free or a paid account on CFCast, which is releasing new content every week, and including a whole ton of into-the-box videos that just got published. And of course, we have some books too. The most recent book is our 102 Cold Box HMVC Quick Tips and Tricks, which you can purchase on Gumroad. And Brad, what's the update on the Command Box 103 Quick Tips and Tricks book? Uh, same place it was last time, which is I'm going to need a lot more free time. Yep, so we have a title and that's it. So keep bugging Brad and maybe we'll get a few more of those uh, tips in there and we'll get a book out for that soon. You know, I posted a little uh, a little tip of the day in uh, in the Ortis Slack team the other day and Luis told me I needed to include it in the book. So maybe I should just start like, you know, writing these down whenever I'm like, hey guys, here's a quick little thing you can do. And then eventually the book will just write itself. Yeah, I mean, really, it's that's kind of the way Luis started his with a book and you know, open up a Google Doc, and every time you have something that comes up or you answer a question for somebody, there you go. You know, it'll fill up pretty quick, I think. I'm trying to find what it was that I had posted. Oh, it was talking about um, looking for the data sources. Um, well, I, and oh, I, I know, it. I guess I, I know what it did at a high level. I was just trying to find the actual message here in Slack. I was going to read it off, but apparently I suck. Uh, but yeah, I had a, I had a, a, co a code base and I wanted to find all of the uh, CF query tags because um, it's a tag based code base <laughs> um, and, and to get a list, a unique list of all the data source names. And so I I created a little quick one liner in command box that used file globbing to cat out the contents of all the CFM or CFC files, uh, pipe that into the grep command to find like data source equals something. And then, uh, you know, use the regular expression to pull out the data source name and then pipe that into the unique command to filter down just the unique list. It, it wasn't that complicated, but I can't find the message right now. 
Um, tip of the day, I've got it right here. It was, yeah, let me copy the link for you, Brad. Where, where did I post it? How come I can't find it? Um, it was in core on October 4th. Oh, I'm looking in our command box channel. What I have are two dang many Slack channels in my life. <laughs> Don't we all? Scott Steinbeck has a good idea. Make a blog post for each tip and then just take the list of blog posts. Turn good, that takes more effort. Yeah. These tips are a little short. I mean, but they're perfect for tweets. You could actually do that and just like do a, a hashtag and then uh, pull them all in and format them. But, but yeah. yeah, I could uh, I could totally uh, fit this into a tweet. Yep. Anyway, while Brad is uh, <laughs> tweeting his mad thoughts around, uh, we'll also thank our Patreon supporters. So we've dropped just below the 100% funding for this podcast. Now we had a couple of uh, Patreons who have uh, not renewed their Patreonage. But we have 36 Patreons now providing 89% of the funding for this podcast. And uh, once we reach that goal again, we'll also be helping to fund other things like Forgebox's uh, awesome storage and other things uh, in our goal list. But if you go to patreon.com slash autosolutions, you can see the different Patreon packages we have available. And some of them include uh, cool things like CFCast subscriptions and also uh, Forgebox Pro account. So there are perks as you go up. And since we're only like 90% funded right now, we can only give you 90% of the podcast. So we'll be stopping five minutes early. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> and remember there are annual memberships now. So a lot, of, a lot of businesses prefer that pay once for the year and you save 10%. So, but yeah, so we are lucky to have all those Patreons and we'll tell you a little bit more about them at the end of the show. Okay, so let's get into our news and events. And the first thing up, Brad, is the Command Box 5.4.2 release. So this one's uh, got a patch update and it has a couple of uh, important bug fixes, right? I don't know. I'm busy tweeting right now. You want me to want me to talk about Command Box? Yeah. Well, the big thing was uh, that we had a regression introduced in 5.4.0 where updating the version of the CF engine doesn't work without forgetting the server first. So that was kind of a major pain tweet sent um yeah that was a, a regression that happened in 5.4 um it had happened as part of our uh, our web xml override um feature <clears throat> so we needed to get that out um obviously because there were some people who um had pr their production servers that weren't updating there's also a uh security fix that's in this version of command box um as usual we don't really say uh what it was that was fixed but um thanks to abram adams for pointing that one out to us uh, so we do recommend that everybody go version of command box, the 5.4.2. It's updated uh, in homebrew on all of our download links. Our Docker images, the order solution slash command box Docker images are all, all, all updated on the latest version to be used in this version of command box. So make sure you take a minute and go through and update all of your um, your Docker images and any, uh, any command box based servers just you have all of the latest and greatest uh, security features as well. Yep. Well, speaking of security features, Google Drive updated some security recently, and it broke all the CFML repo uh, links that I have up on the CFML repo site for anyone looking for older versions of installers for CF and Lucy, etc. Uh, so all of a sudden, I started getting, you know, just 
50, 60, 70 emails a day of like, uh, I want access to this file. I want access to oh this file. Gosh. I'm like, oh, what happened? So Is I this finally the thing found where it. Google Drive will like go through and pick files that it thinks you probably don't want to be shared and it will change the permissions on it? Well, they did a rollout of all permissions on October 7th or something. It was something just very recently where they basically okay. uh, applied a blanket permission update to everything. And then you can't just go pick the folder and you know, apply the remove permission or something. So you have to do it by the file. So basically if you go and reshare the link, well, if you reshare the link, it now has a special resource key on it. And by having the resource key, you're allowing them to access it or something. Anyway, I updated the link, changed the link. That's really lame that they would do that. Yeah. So basically you have to reshare your links if you have links out there. So it's fixed. So if you, I'm looking for files, that affects the, um, the folder of uh, Reaforge downloads that I have out of my personal Google Drive. I just gave that out to someone like a week ago. Yeah, well, I mean, if you start getting uh, requests, then it might be related. But yeah, it was kind of nice to see that many people using it. But at the same time, I was like, oh man, I really got to fix this because a lot of people are relying on it and Google just changed something. So um, fixed it. Do on Google. Should be good now. I haven't seen as many warning requests. Um, but yeah, cfmlrepo.com. Got lots of installers out there, and I even helped someone today on Twitter who was looking for a version of MX6. I did warn them about the security <laughs> issues out there with using old version, but he wanted to get it up and running before he migrated it. So that's what the repo's for. Just wanted to make sure you're aware that CF6 is, what, 15 years old? Uh, so he probably shouldn't be running that in production. Uh, speaking of old versions of Cold Fusion, um, Charlie mm, put a mm. really nice blog post out there with more detailed information about that CF9 and also CF8 ransomware attack. So I know we had a, a, a sort of an article about that a few weeks ago. It was all over Twitter, but Charlie dives into a lot more detail. So as Charlie does, we appreciate that. Um, but this was interesting his, too. His too long didn't read at the top is... The most basic message to hear is get off CF9. <laughs> yep. Or any version that's no longer supported. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, but basically he was like saying, you know, is CF9 really, you know, impacted? And basically, yes, but apparently CF9 update 2 looks, from what I've read, uh, I didn't go into complete detail, it should have been fixed um, in that second update. So it looks like it's affecting CF9, 9.01, and 8 and 8.01, and CF7. Um, so there's no fix offered for those. So looks like, um, yeah. Well, actually, it looks like, yeah, so it looks like there are some, some updates. So, but basically, CF9.2 is a separate installer, not an update was released, incorporates the fix, so it's not vulnerable. But it looks like any CF8 update released 29, uh, 10 later did not, was not found. So essentially, don't use them, but if you are, it's telling you why. It also gives you more detail on, you know, basically, if you are still on it, what should you do? And, you know, what if you're on newer versions? Um, you know, but basically... Um, migrating is probably the, the answer there is, I know it's a lot of work, but it's uh, a big, a big leap in, you know, leap in security, but also some cool features too. Um, I mean, right, and the CBE that they've been exploiting is related to the, the web-based administrator, which, you know, for 
decades, the lockdown guide is always, I don't know if the lockdown guide existed for decades, but for many, many years, the, yeah. the lockdown guide has always said, don't even make this thing publicly accessible. So in the first place, you shouldn't even have your web-based administrator, administrator publicly accessible. But if you do, and you have a CF9 box out there in the internet, then you're you're definitely in need of some fixing. Um, so, I mean, if, if you're like in the middle of updating, you know, you can certainly make sure you've blocked all access to the CFID administrator folder and there's some other folders in there you might want to check out. But definitely don't let that be a crutch to say, oh, well, we're good now. We can just stay on it. This should hopefully be an impetus to you to uh, finally get updated to, you know, Cold Fusion 2021. Or if licensing is an issue, look at Lucy. But you got to do something. That's, that's an incredible amount of technical debt you don't want to have bite you in the butt yeah and so the charlie's last two sections are what can you do if you're on cf9 or 8 and what should you do if you're on cf9 or 8 or 10 11 16 so um you know and again it talks more about the attacks and then you know obviously charlie does this for a living he's a consultant who helps people with their servers and so you know if you need help too and you need you want to maybe hire him he can do that as well um, but he has lots of great information so if you want to do it yourself uh, check out that blog post. Definitely a good one. Thanks, Charlie. Yeah. <laughs> and that was, he just said, Brad, that was indeed the last point of his too long, didn't read. Don't just park on it with this fix. <laughs> so for sure. All right. So in case you missed it, um, Into the Box 2021, which just happened a few weeks ago, uh, those videos are available and they are available on CF Casts. Uh, which is Ortis's video training website. So um, let's see, the show notes say free for subscribers. What does that mean? Subscribers of what? For CFCast subscribers? Yeah, so if you're a paid, okay. if you're a paid subscriber to CFCast, then you get the videos free. Um, if you're not okay. a paid subscriber, you've got a free account, but you were an <laughs> ITB 2021 attendee, um, you should have received a coupon for access um, via email. If you haven't, you can contact the CFCast support page. And if you aren't, one of those so you're just got a free account and you didn't uh, attend you can still purchase just those videos for a one-time fee of 199 but you know with the subscription price so reasonable um you know you may as well just sign up and you can get all of those videos and everything else too so but if you just want to purchase one time uh, it's available for 199 and to say it'd probably be easiest just to go ahead and purchase a subscription then and just get all the content on the site than to only uh only uh, purchase the uh, the into the box videos. Yep. So I was trying or, to find our, uh, our our subscription prices, but I, apparently we don't advertise that anywhere. You can actually find on our website. Oh, <laughs> I've well, clicked about ten times and I can't actually find. Oh, here they are. You can scroll way down below the fold, way down. Here we go. Let's say if you're a Patreon, bronze level or higher, guess what? You get them included free too. Ooh. So good point. Yeah. Yeah, the best way to go with it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was excited to see they get those up super fast as as Gavin well knows, because he's been in charge of it in years past, going through and editing hours of these video recordings and getting them produced and put up can be a huge time suck. So they had pretty good turnaround time getting everything uh, posted, which was nice. So people don't have to wait for the online uh, version of the into the box content. 
Yeah, I mean, we did go Zoom because of the hybrid approach. And so usually what we do is we have like separate video and audio feeds and we put them all together, which gives us the best quality video and audio, but it takes a lot longer to edit. So this is what everybody, you know, got. We went in and fixed audio. And if you do find an issue with some of the audio on one of them or something, let us know. And uh, we are willing to go and try and do some uh, cleanup on some of those. And there are a couple of speakers, we won't name names, will we, Brad, that uh, like to walk around. <laughs> and so when they walk, sometimes the microphone issues uh, do we call them walkers. Play. Yep, we've got a walker. <laughs> but uh, so some of those, the volume is a little lighter. And so if you get one of those videos, let us know. We're going to try and, um, you know, basically even out the audio to make it even and clear. One of the things we can't do live in Zoom, but after the fact we can do some magic so but yeah so go check those out um they're all available now so even the keynotes and the keynotes are on Google, uh, on youtube as well if you just want to uh watch the keynotes lots of great content uh, there showing all the most recent stuff including one of the things we announced was content box version 5 was released so in case you missed it that's available we have the marketing site updated the docs are updated the blog post is out for the release and uh, a lot of a lot of work went into re-architecting that, and uh, yeah. No, no, you said it wrong. According to the show notes, it says re-architecturing. That sounds like a Louisism right there. It's quite possible that he wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> it says this has been a work over one year with a complete refocus and re-architecturing of the of the core. Sounds like journalisming or whatever Ben Shapiro says. Making yeah. up words. Well, it doesn't say funky, so I can't be sure it was Luis. <laughs> True, yeah. If it said getting funky, then we'd know yeah. for certain Luis had typed it. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm surprised if it says we are professional, open source, free forever, and funky, then I'd know it's him. Funky. Yep. Anyway, so that has been released. Uh, go check it out on the Order Solutions website, or you can go to contentboxcms.org for the marketing site. Uh, and Dan Card says, yet grammatically, it's not incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> uh, too funny. Um, so we had another big announcement or release this week, too, in case you missed it. Modernize or Die podcast. Not this one. The Soapbox Edition um, was relaunched this week. So it's available up. Um, we actually have it on the CFCast website. We have it on YouTube, I believe. And the soapbox.modernizeordie.io website uh, where you can get the podcast audio. Uh, also has all the show notes there too. So we we have a special community edition, uh, sorry, anniversary edition with Eric Peterson being the first one released. And we have several more coming. So go check that out, soapbox.modernizeordie.io. Um, and again, you can see that on CFCast. We also have a webinar coming up. So if you did go into the box, or even if you didn't, um, I had a session called Quick Building APIs. And I had a, a pretty detailed, thorough uh, code example. Um, lots and lots and lots of slides. If you've ever been to one of my presentations, you're like, how did you get through so many slides? And to be clear, when you say building quick APIs, you don't just mean an API that doesn't take a lot of time to build. You also mean using the actual quick library, the ORM that Eric Peterson manages. Yes, which so. does also make it like Very take quick. less time to build the API, but it's a quick, quick API. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, building quick, quick APIs, <laughs> um, and yeah, so it's basically using Callbox built-in REST handler. We're going to use CPU security, quick ORM, um, using you know fluent query language from QB on top of Quick. Um, so we have yeah a really cool set of tools. 
and then I'm basically doing an extended version of that talk. So at the talk, it's usually like 45 minutes. So this webinar, I'm probably going to, you know, basically go over the talk, maybe with some edits, and then keep going. So it's like a little maybe more time. eight hours. Yeah, I'm thinking we could probably make a three-day <laughs> workshop out of it, but, you know, <laughs> at least uh, um, take a little more time and dive into a little bit more and get more feedback questions as we go and, and really sort of dive into it. Because this is the way we build APIs now. And I'm actually, every step in here is basically what I've taken on a couple of big client projects that I'm working on right now. So it's uh, it's really it's a really cool one. And I, I, I wanted that to be very detailed so you could take it basically take it on your own walk through the steps and check out like all 30 versions of the api that i have there so you can see every single you sort decision of progressively yeah you progressively build on to it over the course of the talk yeah so it's like I mean, okay what do i do first well i need to make a module mm -hmm. for the api okay well now i need a route well how do i add a route you know like very detailed yep. so hopefully this can be your your guide to getting started with your own quick well, api between the REST base handler, which is built into Coldbox now, and the CB security module, which you can just pull down off Forge Box, and you know the quick ORM, um, I mean, we, we've really refactored kind of the stuff that we were doing over and over again every time we would build an API for a client or for one of our projects. And there's just a ton of out-of-the-box functionality that you're just dropping in that you just have to use now. Um, I mean, even in that, I'm like, I can make this more efficient. I can make help us with this <laughs> and that. And so we just keep making it better. And but there, there isn't a, a faster, easier way to build a robust, a robust API in cold fusion. The, the, the power you're getting with all these tools combined is, is pretty great. So yeah. if you've been, if you've been using like, you know, cold fusions built in rest or whatever, definitely take a look at, at the power you're getting with cold box. Cause there's just a lot more stuff you can tap into. Um, yeah, if you so, need it. yeah, so definitely come check that out. We'll be diving deeper. And like I said, if you were, were at the presentation from into the box or seeing the video, that's cool. Obviously a lot of it will be, you know, rehashed for you, but there'll be more detail, more depth. So definitely come check it out. And if you haven't been to either of them, um, it'll still be good to, to see that. So that uh, signups are available. If you go to events slash webinars on the Auto Solutions website, you can sign up and get that webinar. And that is going to be, I think, October 22nd. Let me, I got to click on it myself to see. I forget the date. Yep, so October 22nd, 11 a.m. Central Time, and it's with me. So go register today. Okay, next up. For those watching, you get to see the cool Hacktoberfest shirt that I have on. So I finally remembered mm. to wear one. But uh, Hacktoberfest is going on right now. So Hacktoberfest 2021. Um, and it's basically GitHub's um, big sponsor. And GitLab is uh, now available to to work with these open source projects. So if you sign up, oh, make four pull requests, um, you can basically get a reward you want a reward uh, one of these t-shirts is one of the options and also if you want to be more socially conscious you can plant a tree and uh, they'll plant a tree in your name as well so um the trick is that you need to have a repo or a pull request tagged with hacktoberfest and we've tagged a bunch of repos from Audis. um but if if you want to do something maybe you want to contribute some of the docs or whatnot and it doesn't have it let us know we can tag it um or tag your pull request but for a pull request and you can get a shirt or a tree it's a pretty good deal so um yeah and as we mentioned 
docs is a great way to do it. So if you see some docs, you see some grammar, some issues, something missing, you want to add something, uh, you know, make a pull request. It's really easy with our Git books. Um, and yeah, you can get that completed. So it has to be completed by October 31st. It does not have to be merged by then, but as long as it's accepted by then, uh, you'll get credit. So yeah, the maintainers can put a tag, I believe on it. That'll little markers accepted, even if they're not ready to merge it. Yep. So you can go to hacktoberfest.digitalocean.com to find out more about it. They got a little video, a little, some marketing there. It's pretty festive for sure. I actually just completed my sign up for this year. I hadn't officially signed up yet. Um, and they have a few more pages than they used to. I signed in with GitHub and you have to tell them if you want to like subscribe to 57 different mailing lists and everything. But it's, uh, I literally did it while you were talking, doing the little intro. So it took like what, 20 seconds. <laughs> yeah. Sounds good. But yeah, so we've got and some I've, premium partners in here, some other yeah, partners. And I've checked most all of the, the orders repos that I manage. And like the the docs for the command box, um, command box itself, most of our major modules, all of those have the Hacktoberfest um, tag. And if you want to submit something to one of our orders repos and you don't see the Hacktoberfest tag, just ask us and we'll easily add it on there. Unfortunately, there doesn't appear to be an easy way to mark just like all of the repos for your entire organization, which kind of sucks because we have like dozens and dozens and dozens of repos spread across like 10 different organizations for orders. So they don't necessarily make it incredibly easy, unfortunately. At least not for maintainers. Yep. And they do do some um, events too. So check it out. Some Sometimes they have in-person. Um, they also have, um, you know, some online virtual uh, like hackathons and stuff. And, you know, they're trying to get people engaged. And we did it at our JavaScript meetup a couple of years ago. And, you know, it's pretty cool. And they'll send you swag and stuff. And, you know, obviously if you participate, and get your pull request done um get some get a shirt out of it and some stickers and, and whatever else they send uh and the cool thing is too is they actually have a whole bunch of like my first repo ones out there where they basically have some dummy repos that people learn how to do pull requests with and so a lot of times you can get one of your pull requests from doing something like that so yeah and i think it even works on your own repo which is kind of crazy so i can send myself a pull request yeah i think you can and once you, coming up. <laughs> so once you have signed up, uh, you'll see your profile and you'll see the little, there's little four little things here that we'll see. So you can see how many are completed, um, you know, and then how many are in progress, which basically they have a certain period they have to review. So once I made my pull request, they should start showing up in here. So you got your own little profile. Yeah. And I will tweet about it uh, right after the show. The website's very like, pumpkin spice themed looking this year got the the it oranges is. and browns i'm wondering if it's going to be a blue i mean an orange shirt this time because the last couple they've had like a blue with some pinks and purples the previous mm -hmm. shirt was almost like a salmon color and it's really comfortable that's the thing i love the shirts themselves are amazing you said you can't even keep yours in your closet your kids keep stealing them yeah i, I was <laughs> i was trying to find a hacktoberfest shirt to wear today for the podcast and my my daughter usually steals all my cool looking shirts which includes anything from JFrog right off the bat. And most of my Hacktoberfest shirts all end up in her closet. So yeah, it's a lost cause. Even my Heroku socks. She totally oh, stole them. Yeah. Right socks always from disappear from me too. Uh, mm -hmm. But anyway, so go get involved. It's a good project and get it rewarded for learning how to do a pull request. So we also have uh, Adobe workshops coming up. So November 10th, we have the all day workshop with Damien Brewing Donks. 
<laughs> bad pronunciation, I'm sure. I've never known how to pronounce his name. I've, I've seen it for years. I don't know how to say it. Yeah, we'll have to have him uh, give us a video on how to say that. But uh, totally. yeah, the Cold Fusion Workshop, as Charlie mentioned, it's meant to be something similar to what you would cover in the, the certification but we're not sure. It definitely has a wider range of uh, items on the agenda, but you can go to coldfusion-workshop.meetus.adobeevents.com uh, or go to coldfusion.adobe.com, um, the portal, and click on upcoming events, and you'll see it there. So that wraps up our news for today, but next up, we have our CFCast content. So... In here, CFCast this last week, we've had a couple of things posted out. So we have all of the Into the Box 2021 videos in there now, as we mentioned. And then after that, we have had the Soapbox relaunch. So the Cold Box Anniversary Edition with uh, Eric Peterson. And so we got quite a few videos there for you. And we are going to be continuing this week, releasing the last few up and running with quick workshop videos so we've still got a few left in that series uh, if you've been following along um i think we're we're about 80 percent of the way through so there's still some more videos to come and you'll be seeing more of those this week so again so does the does the up and coming oh, sorry i can't say it up and running with quick uh series does that cover everything you're doing in your webinar or is that a more in-depth um um, or is, is that really kind of just a different topic entirely just happens also use quick yeah i mean i th i think there's a lot of great stuff in there and things i'm doing in the the webinar is you know basically high level highlighted pieces of that but up and running with quick goes into a, obviously more detail uh explains okay. more every of everything and to so be it honest, sounds like it's sort of complimentary if if people yes. watch your webinar and get an overview of quick they could start watching the cfcast series to really dig into more of the quick stuff then yeah because i mean that's a good thing with quick you can look at it and understand what it's doing but to write it you made it a little more help and so that <laughs> the up and running with quick is like okay i actually want to write my own quick app and then that one uh eric is actually showing you how to write a blog uh, it's, it's pretty cool so he works through um and that's basically the videos from his two-day workshop were on quick so if you want to start using quick i definitely recommend that video series there um, but yeah, you'll see what you can do with quick in the API webinar for sure. Cool. Talk to me about, uh, Vue.js conf. Yeah. So Vue.js conf is going to be online and in person in London on 20th and 21st of October. And so that's UK time, obviously. So I wonder how it'll translate for us. It's like a 12 hour time difference, I think to Pacific time. But there's remote and in-person tickets available, and they have workshops and everything, too. Um, that looks like it is a paid um, remote ticket, so it's not one of the, the free online ones now. But... So it says, times below are shown in your local browser time zone, and it starts at 9 a.m., which means they're probably doing afternoon time slots in London, is my guess. Because we're probably like what six hour offset. I don't know what it is this time of day or this time of year. It's kind of yeah. nice. Yep, it's definitely a pretty website. Let's see. Does it use a view? It better. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, a lot of a lot of cool things in it. Uh, obviously, you got lots of big uh, big speakers. Uh, I recognize quite a few of these, um, but it's always good content. View conf. Um, this is a European one. There should be one in the U.S. Usually, I think it's in March, uh, around that time period. But 
could see lots of good content there and there are some free workshops and there are pro workshops as well and they're trying to make it a networking uh setup as well so uh, if you're looking for some view uh conference material that should be a good one that again october 20th 21st go to viewjslive.com to find out more about it then we have a microsoft ignite conference november 2nd through the 4th and this one, it looks like it's spotlighting Microsoft business applications and Microsoft security. So maybe it's higher level stuff. It's not like deep in the code um, on some things, um, but it, it basically may be, it may be something you guys are interested in. So that's November 2nd through 4th, and it looks like that is free to sign up. Myignite.microsoft.com. So My Ignite, not your Ignite. No, My Ignite. My Ignite, yep. I gotta know, was, it, was Ignite.microsoft.com already taken? Was there, <laughs> like, was there a reason it needed to be my ignite i don't know i'm sure you'll tell I, us yeah no if i go to ignite.microsoft.com it just redirects to my ignite interesting huh. you know, it's, it's like kind of like websites that used to put the word git like rilo.com was always get rilo.com i never yeah. really understood i always assumed honestly when i saw people do that that the domain name they wanted was taken yeah <laughs> so they would just slap another word in front of it you know that's what i would assume too so Okay, we also have uh, Adobe Cold Fusion CF Summit 2021, and so December 7th and 8th is a virtual conference. Apparently, the speakers are now finalized, and um, some of the speaker and session information is available on the site. So if we go look, we can uh, show those watching at home. So it is free. We have some speakers, so there's some we recognize, like Brian and Mark Takata, Charlie will be there, Pete Freitag, you know, we've seen Brian Sappy and Mike Brent. We've got Ray Camden. We've also got Jessica, who's uh, been the last few as well. But we also have some new faces too. So they're trying to add another track of non-CF content. So I think Coralie is speaking about UI UX stuff. And Corbin, I forget what Corbin's session was on, but Mary's uh, a new face too. And I think Zach is a new face. So... As you can see, there are some sessions in here. So building the next generation of secure developers is Ray Bango. So I don't even see a picture for him yet. But Corbin's talking about Gatsby. That's right. So, you know, server-side rendering and, and that type of stuff for React. Um, also, we got some the usual crew, Pete and Nolan, we were speaking, Matthew Clemente. Um, so Zach is talking about and, uh, machine learning. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Maybe you maybe you mentioned it. I think George Murphy's on the list too. Is one of our institutions, yep. right? Yep, George will be there, and he's not. His session isn't listed here. So there's a good amount of uh, session information and speakers, <clears throat> but I think they're still adding to the website. Uh, although the list is um, apparently finalized and everything, so we should be hearing all that information very soon. And if you want more conferences, don't forget comps.tech is a great site and has lots of different conferences for almost any language and community. So you can find out more there and they do list online and in person. Okay. All right, let's keep moving. Well, Blogs, Charlie, Charlie tweets, made some videos. real quick. Uh, he's actually updated his blog post because you said about blocking admin access is another good thing to do. So he's updated it. So there you go, Brad, you're making, making waves. Perfect. <laughs> so not not that any of these people hosting cold fusion 9 are using command box but for what it's worth command box defaults to production mode when it starts a server and in production mode it automatically blocks access to the cold fusion administrator 
So um, just a, a random side note for those security minded people if you're using command box toaster server. You actually have to go out of your way to make the administrator publicly accessible. So, yeah, trying to do the secure first, like secure by default. Yeah, it's yep. more of a pain, but it's you just kind of got to do it these days. Yep. Because everyone, you know, I know that Coldbox used to make it where it was dev mode and no one ever <laughs> updated things to production when we wanted it. So, yeah, uh, and that, that's exactly the problem. People never change the defaults. You know, I don't know how many Coldbox sites I've seen with the, the out of the box error handler in production because nobody ever goes in and changes it. So, yeah, it's For something sure. you got to do. Cool. So the first blog post, we're obviously been talking about Charlie's uh, blog post on beware of the ransomware attacks. And so that is the first one on our list. But we also have a video and this one is from Scott Hanselman and it's not Cold Fusion related, but it's developer related. So Windows 11 now runs graphical Linux apps out of the box with the WSLG. So I hadn't actually seen any of these Windows 11 videos before, but the whole integration with Linux is quite frankly, amazing. Uh, I'm super excited about this because I've been thinking about running Linux on my laptop for a while, but you know, you always have those audio drivers or video driver issues and stuff. And someone's on pop this, this week and next week they're using mint and you know, it's not really that stable. They keep changing. And so I haven't taken the plunge yet, but looking at the way windows 11 runs with Linux, I mean, they're all with VMs and you have terminal, which by the way, you want to watch this video, Brad, because they're using bullet train and stuff like that. And I'm like, hey, they're trying to look like command box. Like, so <laughs> all the terminal features are pretty awesome. You can pick the the flavor of Linux that you actually want to be running on and using. And and the integration between like Windows Explorer and the Linux VMs, everything just works. When you run something, it'll run it in the VM style that you want. It's, it's pretty dang amazing, to be honest. I'm curious so, how these how these apps work. So if I'm under, understanding graphical Linux apps, I assume that means an app you could, you would run normally on a Linux desktop, but has like a, a window you're interacting with. How is that showing up just like in the middle of your windows desktop is something yeah. you can minimize or do you have to go in like a separate, no. you know, like so the cool thing is you're in your terminal, you're running Debian or whatever you install something like the, you know, the GIMP, you know, so you want the image program because you don't want to use Photoshop mm -hmm. anymore. You don't want to pay for it. So you install that inside your command line and then Windows automatically detected that you installed a graphical app from Linux. And then now in your start menu, you have the little icon. You click it. It actually has like a invisibly invisible border on it. So it looks like a native app, but it's the, the Debian app. It has the Debian styles, the formatting, everything is, oh. it's basically like parallels or whatever it used to be. If you run it on PC and, and Mac, like you would mm -hmm. basically run a, a, a PC app inside your Mac and it had this little weird border, but it makes it look seamless. It's pretty, pretty slick. Um, and so that cool. is really a Windows 11 thing. But like Charlie said in the chat, most of those other things you can do with Windows 10 already. Um, but I hadn't even, you know, I've done a little bit of the, the Windows sub subsystem for Linux, but just the way that everything was so integrated and like, yeah, the graphical apps even shop is, I was like blown away, but the terminal and all that, it's just smooth. It's clean. And I'm just grumpy because I built my laptop to be amazing five years ago. And it's still like better than most laptops out there, but the CPU is just like one version too damn old for windows 11. 
I'm like, <laughs> it's still amazing, but apparently it's not quite the right version. So I could install it, but they, I might not get updates. So I'm hoping that they backtrack a year or two where I can throw in your CPU in it or something. Cause I love my laptop. It's awesome. But anyway, so I might have to like experiment with all the windows 10, uh, windows subsystem stuff, but it's pretty cool. So go watch the video. It's really short too. You know, it's like 18 minutes or something, but there's a ton of awesome stuff in it. And so that's on YouTube. So I'm pretty excited about all that stuff. Okay. Next up. So this is something that I didn't realize happened either. Did you know anything about the query param value in, um, and like Lucy, basically, instead of giving it a list, you know, and you put list equals true for the param for an end statement, if you actually give it an array, it'll convert it to a list for you. No, I'd never known that. Um, it's been a while since I've used the list attribute, even though I've, I've totally used it in the past. Um, I think I missed that. And I did see that uh, tweet from Ben, but I hadn't actually clicked on it to read it. Uh, just confirming you're saying that is a Lucy only feature. It looks like it. Um, that's what he's playing with. And I guess we could try it elsewhere. And like I said, usually, um, if you those watching, you'll see here, you do like a, an ID in, and then your query param, you give it, you know, a, an array of IDs and you do a two list and then you tell it the type and the list equals true and, and that works. And like I said, I've done that. That's the traditional works everywhere. CF docs has no mention of that. Let's see if Lucy's docs actually mentions it. Yeah. So the value is string on CF docs, but it's any on, on Lucy's docs. And yeah. It says you can also pass an array as the value, which is automatically handled like list equals true. Yep. So Lucy's docs are up to date. So here you go. You want a pull request. This is something that's out of date on the CF docs, which is all stored as uh, JSON in a GitHub repo. So, update the CF query param uh, tag and the CF docs to mention this Lucy specific behavior. That'll be your first pull request of the month. Yep. That's pretty cool. See, now I've been spoiled using quick and QB lately. And if you give it, um, you know, query param with an array, I thought it was doing something under the covers to turn it into a list, but it might've just been passing it down. So I know you can do it with quick and QB in Adobe. So I don't know if there's some processing it does. So Eric uh, will have to let us know or I'll have to dive into the source code, but it's pretty, it is pretty cool. So again, it's just one less thing nice. you have to do, convert it to an, a list. Yeah. I think a lot of the the libraries and framework stuff that Luis and I, I mean, not just Luis and I, but you know, or as people do, anytime we allow an, a list of items, we usually also allow an array of items just to give people the flexibility. And if you're, you know, passing in, you know, dynamic values and you don't know if they have a comma in them, it, you know, kind of gets rid of having to worry about escaping commas and things like that. So yeah, that's pretty cool to know about. Yep. And like I say, I got, get spoiled with quick and QB because they do that all the time, but, uh, but yeah, it's pretty neat. So next up we have, uh, Brad Wood talking about command box 5.4.2. So is there anything you think we missed there? No, we pretty much hit that earlier, which is make sure you update everything. Got some regressions and that security fix. So um, everything's up to date. Docker images, all the download links, homebrew. Just uh, update your servers to uh, 542. Yep. That's the latest release you want to be on. Now, did you get the yum stuff working? I know we had some issue where yum wasn't updating for some people, but was for others or something. Well, yum was not updating at all. 
it turns out. And there was something missing on our Jenkins build server after we'd moved to DigitalOcean. And oh. uh, uh, Kai, Kai had pointed out in the box team Slack. Um, I, 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 I think it's fixed, but I'm not sure. It works for me. It works for another person who tested it. Kai said it still wasn't working for him. So uh, flip a coin as to whether or not it's actually fixed. Um, but it, it, it should be, from all that I can tell, uh, should be updating. It might just be that New Zealand's ahead in some ways and behind in others because he lives in New Zealand and time zones and weird stuff, maybe. Time zones <laughs> and weird stuff. Yeah. That's the technical explanation for you folks at home. So next up, we have another blog first from Ben, and this one's interesting. So he's using a where true to create dynamic uh, queries. And so basically, it's one of those things where you have all your if statements because you're filtering a query, and you don't know if the first item was going to be true or not, so you don't know if you're going to actually include it with an and. So if you just do where true or where one equals one or something like that, then all your if statements can just have and whatever your SQL you want, and sort of you build your query, right? Um, he was basically looking into this to see if uh, that actually messes up the query planner. And so, you know, you have the where true and then all these if ands uh, in, in your query building. And he's using tag islands here, which is pretty cool. But so he was curious and wanted to find out if that where true, that basic constant condition um, was going to like play havoc with the, the the query plan. And so he went through and did some explains with some tables with lots and lots and lots of records. And basically in MySQL, um, it did what it should do and ignore it. And so basically, um, it didn't even care about the constant. It didn't mess up the query plan or anything else. Um, and, you know, basically it comes back correctly like it should. The interesting thing is I wonder what the other database engines do. Well, I've always done where one equals one in SQL Server. I don't know that you can just do where true, but I, I'd have to test it. Yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah, I've used this, this trick for years and you have a bunch of if statements and, you know, optional filtering stuff and you know, I'll just do where one equals one and then you just you know slap on and blah and blah down below uh, and i've never seen it cause any problem um yeah and several people are saying they always use where one equals one you know or whatever but yeah it's it's one of those things um yeah it's just kind of interesting and i just I want, I never really thought about the query planner piece, you know, but then again, it's one of those things where the, you know, that many possible different changes in it, it's probably not going to have too much repeating anyway. And if it sees the same thing, then, you know, make a new query plan, go from there. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, my rule of thumb usually with performance is I look into things that are actually slow. I don't, they don't typically spend a lot of time trying to, pre-optimize something if it's if it's currently executing in a reasonable amount of time then i don't bother messing with it and i've never i don't think i've ever had a query like this in which i was like oh my gosh this is slow let me look into it so i've yeah. never even honestly considered it because i i'd never had problems with a query that used this so yeah i'm not i'm not surprised that the optimizer is, is smart enough um that's one of the most complex and smart parts of most database engines is the the query optimizer that figures out how to actually you know, translate your SQL into what it's going to do behind the scenes. Yeah, I'm kind of just curious, like how each engine does it differently, though. You know, because usually they're both they're all pretty smart, but they're sometimes different. So I was just kind of curious. But 
yeah. the other thing too is using quick and QB. Obviously, you don't need to worry about that because when you're using QB, it'll build the query as you need it. You just add a where a part of your builder and give all the where commands and QB puts them all together for you. So you don't have to worry about how many if statements or what's the first where like using, using QB, it'll handle it for you. So I always spouting on about it, but it's really, and that's what QB is built for, for making. Did you, did you tell Ben that on Twitter? Cause I don't remember if I saw you say that to him or if I was just thinking to myself, man, he really needs to start using QB. Yeah, I didn't say it because we're always telling Ben, hey, you should do this. You need to do this. You need to do that. And like, and Ben's well, he fine. Doesn't need to. It, it, he doesn't need to, but these things might be useful. <laughs> well, and, I mean, see, Query Bottle might be a, a useful addition and, and I mean, it can be a pretty cool yeah. thing when you're doing some complex queries. It really does make it more right. readable, more ma- maintainable. I mean, the thing is, I, I love the curiosity and learning stuff, but in the cold fusion world, there are a lot of solved problems, right? There's a lot of problems that have been solved and many of them for years and years and years. And it's like, start using libraries like QB and you can take advantage of the problems QB has had solved for many years. I mean, the same with Colbox, the same with everything. Sometimes I feel like people put a lot of work into resolving problems that have been solved for a very long time with existing libraries. So um, anyway, I, I love the, the experimentation, the curiosity, but there's a good shot. There's a good chance that if you're solving a problem, there's a library out there that's already solved it, which is why I usually say, why aren't you using X, Y, Z? Like we've solved these problems already. You know, these, these, these problems that exist when you're taking advantage of, of the modern tooling cold fusion has, but anyway, yeah. that's my, my rant for today. Try cold, try QB, Ben, do it. Just do it, man. You'll love it. Yep, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. But Charlie also mentions talking about the database thing that, 20 uh sql server 2019 does not support the true uh it does support one equals one um and stuff but other people say you can just do where one so that the engines do treat things a little differently you know obviously try it and see and then will says uh yeah sometimes you spend days fixing issues in libraries too <laughs> so he said well yeah. that's a different conversation entirely right I didn't say libraries don't have bugs. I said they've solved problems, right? So yeah, you're 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 conflating this non sequitur. Is what that is. Yeah, he says they're wonderful libraries, but you know everything has a bug, and yep. But we make it better. So I solve the bugs, and someone else doesn't have to. So <laughs> yeah, make Eric solve your bugs. Yep. All right, we're gonna keep going. We're ten minutes till one, and we've barely yep. scratched well, the surface. We're, we're of doing pretty strings. good here. The last okay, thing was right. uh, a, a task runner that you helped Scott work on called playwright you want to give us a five minute overview of what this does uh yeah so uh scott steinbeck had bugged me and he was he was trying to use something i'd never heard of it's a a microsoft library called playwright and i'm sure it does like a thousand things more than what i fooled around with because it looked pretty powerful but basically uh it's it's kind of funny because it's a java library but it actually just wraps um a bunch of (laughs) node libraries uh that use like chromium sort of like the the headless browser stuff um, and what Scott Steinbeck wanted to do with it was basically to generate screenshots on the fly of um, of URLs. So Scott kind of had some questions about how to interact with the Java classes, which I've done quite a bit now, and I've kind of gotten used to some of the little weird things. Um, so I got it working, and I wrapped it up in just a little standalone task runner, honestly, because it was just really convenient to be able to just send that back to Scott over Slack and say, here, just you know, throw this in a directory and run task run. Boom, you're done. Um, and so uh, obviously you could extract this and you could put it into any cold fusion application. Um, but if you look at the top, I, you, know, you got to share it on your screen there. Um, downloaded a bunch of jars just using the good old fashioned install command, 
right? So that grabs some jars. Um, there, there are quite a few jars this requires. Um, and then you basically just create some Java classes. You say, you know, visit this URL uh, and then screenshot it and then save it in this file. Um, and uh, then at the bottom of my task runner, I actually open up the, the, the PNG file that was saved. Um, so it's, it's kind of fun to play with. And honestly, like once I got all the pieces, you know, working all the jar files downloaded, it just kind of worked. It downloads some stuff on the fly the first time it runs. But yeah, I mean, you can just, uh, you know, punch in like, you know, yahoo.com or whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, it'll, it'll load that up in this little Chromium headless browser, take the screenshot and then, you know, uh, pop the image open. Uh, uh, so Scott just said it's not shared. Yeah, what do you mean by that, Scott? In the tweet that I shared, uh, there's a link Explain. in the tweet. Maybe that's what you're missing there. But yeah, it should be in there. Oh no, we've talked yeah, about all these blogs. We had the wrong picture up. Man, oh well. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a public gist. So if you can you can click the link in that tweet, and it'll it'll show the gist. And if you want to play with it, um, you can just save that as task.cfc. And I had the syntax and how to call it with a custom URL down below. Um, oh, he was saying this code in your screen was not shared. Yeah, I'm not sure. I was able to see it while I was talking, but um, anyway, yeah, I mean, that's basically it. It's just, it's a cool library. You can generate screenshots, you know, on the fly of pretty much anything you can hit in the browser. And, um, it's, uh, it's pretty easy to integrate with, uh, with, with, you know, cold fusion, just being able to wrap a Java library. I didn't even know what Scott was going to do with it, but it looked pretty cool. So. If you ever yeah. thought to yourself, if only I could take a screenshot and, and I think there's all sorts of settings you can do, like changing like the type of browser and the settings about the browser. Um, I, I really only poked at just enough of the Java docs to make the basic example work. Yeah. I know a lot of that stuff. Um, you use stuff like, I think playwrights built with some puppeteer stuff, but basically whenever you're using JavaScript, you can't take a screenshot until you wait for the JavaScript to run. And so if you use the browser like that, it actually will generate all the, all the maps with the JavaScript and do whatever, then you can take a screenshot of afterwards and PDF it or whatever you need to. So I know Scott does a lot of things like that with some of his agricultural um, mapping software. Yeah. I'm thinking that there was a setting I don't know if I was using it. I thought there was a setting that was like how long to wait for the page to load. I could be wrong about that. Hmm. Yeah. Um, Cause I, I, I did hit some stuff that I think loaded in with JavaScript and I think it worked. I didn't play with it a ton. Cool. All right. Anyway, that's, that's really all there is for that. It's, it's fun and you can, you can play with it with my task runner. I'm sure there's a thousand things that could be done to make it better. That was just a proof of concept. Cool. Well, let's talk about find a job. Let's share the screen here for those watching. So we have um, about eight or nine new jobs this, this week. So we've got a Cold Fusion developer in Washington, D.C. We've also got one in South Bend, Indiana. We've got some in Virginia. So we've got some, some senior positions as well. A couple of remote ones in Richmond. Um, these may be duplicates too. So obviously click on them for more information. But it looks like we've got Illinois, Virginia. DC, Maryland, so quite a few different jobs all over the place. And again, getcfmyjobs.com has all that, and they scrape a lot of different sites to pull it in, and people can post for free as well if they want. So get in there and find a job if you're looking. Okay, next up we have Forgebox Module of the Week, and this week we're going to talk about Launch Darkly SDK. 
So this is one of those things where Ben Nadell has done something pretty cool with Launch Darkly. He made his own little CFC or whatever, and it looks like someone has actually made it into a Forgebox module for him. Was that you, Brad, or was that somebody else? Sorry, what? I was answering a question on CFML Slack, and I stopped listening to you. <laughs> I was saying the Launch Darkly module on Forgebox is our module of the week, and Ben had obviously built a, a CFC for working with Launch Darkly, and it looks like right. someone from Audis has uh, wrapped it up and made an SDK. Was that yes. you? Yes, I wrote it. Um, okay. <laughs> so Mary Jo Smickley, who works for CF Web Tools, um, wanted to use Launch uh, wanted to use Launch Darkly for one of her clients, um, and they have uh, they've contracted through Ordis to help them out with updating our Couchbase SDK and other stuff. And so she had bugged me and said, "Hey, can Ordis make like a, a real live official kind of uh, Cold Fusion?" SDK for um, launch darkly. And so that's exactly what we did. Um, and so it basically it wraps the Java SDK, um, but it, you know, wraps it up in CFML real nice. So it's, you know, loosely typed to the extent it's possible. You can um, pass, you know, cold fusion closers and we translate them through to, you know, Java lambdas, um, which still kills me that neither Adobe nor Adobe have, uh, sorry, I just said Adobe twice, neither Adobe nor Lucy have taken seriously um, Luis's tickets to make that be a native uh, feature of Cold Fusion. Actually, I think Lucy 6 might have that, but Lucy 6 might as well not exist since there's like no <laughs> no end in sight for when we'll ever actually get it. Um, but anyway, yeah, there, there's some things that are a bit of a pain to manually interface with Java libraries. So that's what the SDK does for you. Um, Launch Darkly is, is pretty nice, honestly. I've always kind of thought feature flag libraries are dumb. I think feature flags are fine. I've always thought like having a whole library just to manage what's basically a Boolean variable was sort of lame. I mean, like just create a cold box setting, you're done, right? Um, but when Mary had asked me to, Mary Joe rather had asked me to look into launch darkly and what it would take to make a proper SDK. Um, I realized they actually do quite a bit more than just yes, no flags, right? Um, first of all, you know, you manage your flags in this launch darkly website, you know, you pay for it, right? They have their own, you know, uh, dashboard where you can manage the flags. And one of the whole kind of points is, you know, a marketing person or a business analyst or the CEO of your small company, they could be the person that goes in and clicks the button and activates the flag on an idle, you know, Tuesday afternoon because they want to release the feature. So, you know, it really is separates that from having to push a new version of your code. Um, the flags are more than just Booleans, right? You can have strings, you can have numbers, you can have entire like JSON data structures. You can get kind of complex about what you're turning on and off. And what's really nice is they're not all just global, right? It's not just the features on, the features off. You can do these really nice segmenting where you say, I want all of the users with an admin role that live in Kansas and have purchased something in the last six months. I want 20% of them to have the feature turned on. And LaunchDarkly does all of that for you. It creates those segments and you just have to send those details about each user inside the call and it'll automatically you know, turn stuff on and off for these kind of cross-cutting segments of your users. Um, and so when I saw some of that stuff, I was like, well, that's actually pretty freaking cool. It's a lot more powerful than I'd originally kind of thought with just, you know, an if statement, right? Um, and the other thing you can do, which I just added support for this morning, is you can um, you can register a closure, a little, you know, cold fusion closure, and say, call this anytime a flag is changed. And the Java SDK keeps this, I don't know if it's a WebSocket or what it is, but it keeps a connection open to the launch, uh, the launch Darkly websites. And I tested it. It, is, it works. It's really great. Um, I can go into the LaunchDarkly website, I can, you know, enable a flag, and immediately it'll push that 
that change out to my ColdFusion web server and it'll run my closure and say, this flag just updated, here's the new value. And so your, your websites don't have to wait for the next request to respond. You can have code that instantly within milliseconds fires and changes whatever you need it to based on that flag update. Um, and that's also super powerful because not only do you not need to you know, deploy code, but you can actually get these like live push, you know, updates where someone clicks a button on the website and your web, your running web application with the SDK just comes into comes into play. So cool. the SDK is written as a cold box module, but it doesn't require cold box. You can use it with Wirebox standalone, which Mary Jo is, or it can just be a straight up 100% legacy thing you drop in. I, I it's, it's basic enough. I made it support the whole gamut of, of possibilities. So if you're using Coldbox, great, right? Box install, launch darkly SDK, you're done. It automatically manages the creation, the shutdown. It all just works, right? Unicorn, fairy, magic, pixie dust and stuff. Um, if you're not using Coldbox, forget about it. Install it like before. You just have to create the CFC yourself um, and you need to make sure you shut it down when your application reinits. Um, and you have to provide the configuration manually. But outside of that, there's nothing Coldbox specific in it. Uh, so don't let that prevent you from playing around with it. Um, I've been having a lot of fun with it. I've got a whole kind of unit test suite. Um, and I, I signed up for a trial of Launch Darkly because, again, it's not not a free service from what I've seen. Um, but, yeah, that's that's Launch Darkly. And I literally just finished writing it yesterday, and I was making some updates today. Um, I have several ideas that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to add into it, such as uh, it will use a local cache. And I'm going to write an adapter to like maybe use Couchbase since they don't support that out of the box. They do support Redis out of the box. Um, but it's a pretty simple SDK and I have everything there in the readme um, to play around with. So now Ben has yet another thing to, to play around with. Yep. <laughs> My version of it. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, I liked checking that out. I know that there's a couple other feature flag things that have popped up on Forgebox lately, so maybe Beans yeah, Unleash cool. is one that Eric made recently. Um, so there's, there's at least a couple of them. Um, I've only vaguely looked at Unleash, um, but I, I kind of want to compare them side by side just to see because I'm curious if Unleash has the stuff like the automatic kind of like event pushes like Launch Darkly does because that's really pretty sweet. Yeah, I had, that, I had that, no clue that that kind of stuff even existed. Yeah, that's pretty new, pretty new and cool sounding to me but, too. The, the, the only real downside, honestly, is the fact that you have to pay, <laughs> you have to pay to use Launch Darkly. And a lot of the really sweet stuff, like the segmented user groups, is all like an enterprise license. I mean, I get it. They have to make money. Um, unfortunately, that means you can't really play with it for free. I don't know. They may have a free version of the account. I didn't look too closely. I literally created a 14-day trial just so I could write the SDK. But a lot of the really sweet stuff. You gotta you gotta pay the the big bucks. I don't know. Maybe it's cheap. I don't even know. I literally did not even look at a launch darkly's pricing. It it may be totally reasonable. Um, but just keep that in mind. Some of the really cool stuff is tiered in their pricing plan. So go figure. Maybe uh maybe Ordis needs to write our own feature flag thing where we pay or we charge people money. Yeah. We'll call it feature feature box. That sounds like we're um we're reinventing the wheel. Someone else already <laughs> sold. Well, no, 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 no. Reinventing the wheel is fine if it means you get paid for it. <laughs> I, I didn't say we should reinvent it for the sake of reinventing. I said we should reinvent it so we get all the money. That's what yeah. I said. Well, I guess we'll see. I wonder if Unleash is an open source or free, or if it's paid account too. We'll have to look into that. I don't know. Well, that's a good question. Um, Eric also broke the Unleash SDK. 
basically because again, there was a client of ours that said, Hey, we want to use this, <laughs> write us an SDK. And that's what we did. So that segues into my next point, which is if there's a really cool library out there that you would like to use and they have a Java SDK, but there's nothing written for cold fusion. We seem to somehow specialize in cranking out SDKs here in, uh, at Ortis. So, yep, we definitely do us. a lot of that. So, <laughs> yep. Okay, next up, we have our Forge, uh, sorry, our Visual Codes uh, hints, tips, and tricks of the week. So, VS Code. And this week is going to be another video, actually. So, we're going to share the VS Code 1.61 release party. So September's version of VS Code was just released. Instead of giving you one hint or a couple of hints, this whole video tells you about all the new stuff that they have in VS Code. And so I thought that'd be a pretty good way to do it. And they have these um, VS Code videos. Um, the should like and subscribe to this because every week they have a video now. And then every, every month when they do a major release, they have a release party and they have a live stream. You know, you get to ask questions. They basically walk through all the new stuff that's in VS Code. So they've got a, idea. yeah, I mean, it's, it's really neat. I mean, it's kind of like what we used to do with, uh, you know, Audis. We used to do weekly and monthly webinars sort of showing different things and going over stuff and basically same type of thing. So VS Code is pretty popular. I'm sure they have a lot of people uh, want to check it out. So this one already had 16,000 views from last Thursday, but it's got some cool stuff. And I think a lot of the extensions that everybody installs, like the parentheses, like the bracket highlighting is now built into VS Code. So you can actually remove those libraries, those extensions and use the built-in if you want. So, uh, but a lot of cool stuff, but yeah. So if you want to find out all the things you didn't know that you were had available and you weren't using, um, you can go find out, watch that video. It's on my watch list, that's for sure. Okay. So next up, we have our Patreon list. So I have to update this image here, um, just so you guys know. We've updated the Audis website to, to show some of the more recent changes to our Patreons. And I just checked again today. The Patreon list has changed, and so we'll be updating again. But um, we want to thank everyone who's personally supporting us, uh, Auto Solutions, with our open source initiatives, which include Command Box, Forge Box, Cold Box, Test Box, Content Box, etc. So without them, we wouldn't be able to do all the things we do, and uh, this podcast is one of them. So remember, we are offering business uh, annual memberships now. So if you want to pay and save 10%, you can get an annual membership. Bronze packages and up, get Forgebox Pro accounts and see if cast subscriptions is one of the perks. And any patron supporter of any level gets the profile badge on the, uh, the community website and also their own private forum access on the community website. So Audis's, uh community site. Definitely uh, make take advantage of that, you know, a little special attention and uh, you guys deserve it. So Brad, are you busy or you want me to read the names? <laughs> oh, I'm just complaining about the Elvis operator and CFML Slack. It's sort of a pastime. <laughs> okay. I well. can read the names though. Um, <laughs> just as long as I don't have to use Elvis operator on Adobe Cold Fusion. Yep. So we updated the list again today and we're ordering it um, by the biggest contributors. So we're thanking them first and uh, also lifetime uh, contributors tie into it too. So You'll see there's a, a lot of different people with different amounts and different lifetimes. Some of these names have been here almost from the start. So it's really Green cool by to the see. biggest contributors. That sounds like fat shaming. 
Oh, you mean who gave the most money? Of course, yeah. of course. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. so uh, thank you to our Patreon supporters, uh, John Wilson of Snaptrix, Eric Hoffman, Gary Knight, Mario, uh, Mario Rodriguez, Giancarlo Gomez, David Bellinger, uh, Jonathan Pratt, Jeffrey McGee from Sunstar Media, Dean Mounder, Joseph Lamry, Don Bellamy, Jan Yannick, Laxma, uh, I, I can I never say the last name. You always do it good. Tertolati. Laxma T. That's what I call him. Carl von Stetten, Tan Card, Jeremy Adams, Jordan Clark, Matthew Clemente, Daniel Garcia, Scott Steinbeck from Agri Tracking Systems, Benadel, Mingo Hagen, Brett Deline, Kai Koenig, Charlie Earhart, Jonas Erickson, Jason Diger, Jeff McLean, Sean Odin, Matthew Darby, Ross Phillips, Edgardo Cabezas, Edgarcito. But they were calling him into the box. <laughs> Patrick Flynn, Stephanie Mond, uh, Kevin Wright, and Stephen Klotz. Those are our beautiful, amazing Patreon supporters. Yep, for sure. Thanks you to each and every one of you. And uh, yeah, we really do appreciate it. And if you want, autosolutions.com slash about dash us slash sponsors. You can see uh, those names. And again, we're always updating them here. Um, but yeah, the Regatron Edgato uh, will be... Uh, be coming to an ITB near you soon. Hopefully, the Latam one will be booked for early December. Reggaeton. Yeah. Every reggaeton sound, song sounds the same. They've all got that basic beat. Yep. So for those who didn't know, uh, Edgardo made a made a scene teaching everybody how to dance the reggaeton. Oh, yeah. he did something. Art. We've got like animated gifts of it now added into our internal <laughs> Slack. You know yeah. who made those? Good times. But yeah, so thanks, Brad, for reading that because, uh, as Charlie says, my pronunciation is kind of amusing. Uh, so, yeah, I think Tirahadi is how I say it, but it's probably not right either. So we've had several people give us videos to tell us how to say their names. So if you if your yeah. name is badly pronounced or you want to change it so it you know was fixed, let us know. And uh, we'll or if you <laughs> enjoy us butchering your name, then just don't say anything, and we'll we'll gladly continue to do it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> At least you get some attention, right? Because everyone's like, they said your name wrong. But anyway, so everybody have a great week. Thanks very much. And uh, yeah, we'll see you all next week. Don't forget Hackathon, Hacktoberfest. So, all right. Have a good one, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. Show notes for this episode can be found at cfmlnews.modernizeordie.io, where you can also subscribe to your favorite podcast player like Spotify or iTunes. We also have the link to YouTube to find more videos just like this. The music used in this podcast is under a royalty-free license from Sound.com and Bluetree Audio.